Hello, everyone. Hello, and happy Advent. It is. It's Advent season. Yes. This is Three Things Podcast, and we've got a pretty exciting. Um, well, we got a we got a thing we're doing. Yes. Yeah. We're gonna have some special podcasts this entire Advent season. Right up till Christmas. Right up till Christmas. So, uh, Christine and I, um, we kind of have a weird Advent. It's not weird. I imagine a lot of people do. But one of our Advent treats is that we try to, we've seen, I don't know just about every, but we've seen a lot of Christmas movies, um, The Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Um, and you like the Christmas Carol. You teach the Christmas Carol. I have taught it, but I, and I absolutely love it. And when we say the Christmas Carol, we're talking about the story by Chuck Dickens. <laughs> Charles Dickens. Well, Thank you very much. I like we're, to think he like goes like, like Chuck. Chuck. You think maybe if he were in America. Um, we don't want you to mistake Christmas Carol with the movie about the young boy in the Red Rider BB gun. Not that's that a, Christmas Well, Carol. that's called a Christmas story. Oh, you're right. Never mind. Don't confuse it with that like I did. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, we had decided, uh, actually we decided this a while back ago, and so we're going to give it a shot. We are going to do a podcast where we read each of the staves of the Christmas Carol. When we say we, we don't mean together. You will be hearing Jason read. Okay. And we, so that'll be the goal is, and uh, we'll talk about that. We'll read each stave of the Christmas Carol. There's five of them. Um, we'll post one, obviously this week and the second week and the third week. And then the final week of Christmas, uh, final week of Advent, uh, right up to Christmas, we'll post two episodes, uh, the fourth and fifth stave. Um, and so if you've never read the Christmas Carol, if you've only seen the movies, if you of have read the Christmas Carol, but maybe you're just too busy. It was a long time ago. Right. And maybe you're just too busy to reread it. <laughs> or maybe you want to read along with us. Uh, please enjoy these uh, Christmas Carols. You can wrap your Christmas gifts while you listen to Christmas Carol. Okay. So uh, settle in. We're going to stop right. Oh, and then following the reading of each stave, if you would like, we invite you to st- stick, uh, hang around. And Christine and I will have a little commentary where we talk about what we what we just read. Yes, it, it should be enlightening a little bit. We're Hopefully, going to try to connect it to some great social justice issues yeah. and, because it is really a social justice piece. And, you know, maybe not enlightening, at least entertaining. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, sit back, prepare yourselves, uh, get your favorite drink. And enjoy yeah. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Or Chuck, if you know him personally. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, Stave Two, The First of Three Spirits. When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. He was endeavoring to pierce the darkness with his ferret eyes when the chimes of a neighboring church struck the four quarters. So he listened for the hour. To his great astonishment, the heavy bell went on from six to seven and from seven to eight, 
and regularly up to 12, then stopped. 12. It was past 2 when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have got into the works. 12. He touched the spring of his repeater to correct this most preposterous clock. Its rapid little pulse beat 12 and stopped. Why, it is impossible, said Scrooge, that I could have slept through a whole day and far into another night. It is impossible that anything has happened to the sun. And this is twelve at noon? The idea being an alarming one, he scrambled out of bed and groped his way to the window. He was obliged to rub the frost off with the sleeve of his dressing gown before he could see anything, and could see very little then. All he could make out was that it was still very foggy and extremely cold, and that there was no noise of people running to and fro and making a great stir as there unquestionably would have been if the night had been beaten off by bright day and taken possession of the world. This was a great relief, because three days after sight of this first of exchange pay to Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge or his order, and so forth, would have become a mere United States security if there were no days to count by. Scrooge went to bed again and thought, and thought, and thought it over and over and over, and could make nothing of it. The more he thought, the more perplexed he was, and the more he endeavored not to think, the more he thought. Marley's ghost bothered him exceedingly. Every time he resolved within himself, after mature inquiry, that it was all a dream, his mind flew back again like a strong spring released to its first position and presented the same problem to be worked all through. Was it a dream or not? Scrooge lay in this state until the chimes had gone three quarters more when he remembered on a sudden that the ghost had warned him of a visitation when the bell tolled one. He resolved to lie awake until the hour was past, and considering that he could no more go to sleep than go to heaven, this was perhaps the wisest resolution in his power. The quarter was so long that he was more than once convinced he must have sunk into a doze unconsciously and missed the clock. At length it broke upon his listening ear. Ding-dong! A quarter passed, said Scrooge, counting. Ding-dong! Half-passed, said Scrooge. Ding-dong! A quarter to it, said Scrooge. Ding-dong! The hour itself, said Scrooge triumphantly, and nothing else. He spoke before the hour bell sounded, which it now did with a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant, and the curtains of his bed were drawn the curtains of his bed were drawn aside, I tell you, by a hand. 
not the curtains at his feet nor the curtains at his back, but those to which his face was addressed. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and Scrooge, starting up into a half-recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. As close to it as I am now to you, and I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like a old man, viewed through some supernatural medium, which gave him the appearance of having receded from the view and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, were like those upper members, bare. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and around its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, and in singular contradiction of that wintry emblem, had its dress trimmed with summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light, by which all this was visible, and which was doubtless the occasion of its using, in its duller moments, a great extinguisher for a cap, which it now held under its arm. Even this, though, when Scrooge looked at it with increasing steadiness, was not its strangest quality, for at its belt sparkled and glittered now in one part and now in another, and what was light one instant at another time was dark. So the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with one arm, now with one leg, now with twenty legs, now a pair of legs without a head, and now a head without a body, of which dissolving parts no outline would be visible in the dense gloom wherein they melted away. And in the very wonder of this, it would be itself again, distinct and clear as ever. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? asked Scrooge. I am. The voice was soft and gentle, singularly low, as if instead of being so close beside him, it were at a distance. Who and what are you? Scrooge demanded. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? inquired Scrooge, observant of its dwarfish stature. No, your past. Perhaps... Scrooge could not have told anybody why, if anybody could have asked him, but he had a special desire to see the spirit in his cap, and begged him to be covered. "'What?' exclaimed the ghost. "'Would you so soon put out, with worldly hands, the light I give?' 
Is it not enough that you are one of those whose passions made this cap and forced me through the whole trains of years to wear it low upon my brow? Scrooge reverently disclaimed all intention to offend or any knowledge of having willfully benetted the spirit at any period of his life. He then made bold to inquire what business brought him there. Your welfare, said the ghost. Scrooge expressed himself much obliged, but could not help but thinking that a night of unbroken rest would have been more conducive to that end. The spirit must have heard him thinking, for it said immediately, Your reclamation, then. Take heed. It put out its strong hand as it spoke and clasped him gently by the arm. Rise and walk with me. It would have been in vain for Scrooge to plead that the weather and the hour were not adapted to pedestrian purposes. That bed was warm and the thermometer a long way below freezing. That he was clad but lightly in his slippers, dressing gown, and nightcap, and that he had a cold upon him at the time. The grasp, though gentle as a woman's hand, was not to be resisted. He rose, but finding that the spirit made towards the window, clasped his robe in supplication. I am mortal, Scrooge remonstrated, and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand there, said the spirit, laying it upon his heart and you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road, with fields on either hand. The city had entirely vanished. Not a vestige of it was to be seen. The darkness and the mist had vanished with it, for it was a clear, cold winter day with snow upon the ground. Good heaven, said Scrooge, clasping his hands together as he looked about him. I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. The spirit gazed upon him mildly. Its gentle touch, though it had been light and instantaneous, appeared still present to the old man's sense of feeling. He was conscious of a thousand odors floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares long, long forgotten. Your lip is trembling, said the ghost. And what is that upon your cheek? Scrooge muttered, with an unusual catching in his voice, that it was a pimple, and begged the ghost to lead him where he would. You recollect the way? inquired the spirit. Remember it, said Scrooge with fervor. I would walk it blindfold. "'Strange to have forgotten it for so many years,' observed the ghost. "'Let us go on.' They walked along the road, Scrooge recognizing every gate and post and tree, until a little market town appeared in the distance, with its bridge, its church, and winding river. Some shaggy ponies now were seen trotting towards them with boys upon their backs who called to other boys in country gigs and carts driven by farmers. All these boys were in great spirits and shouted to each other until the 
broad fields were so full of merry music that the crisp air laughed to hear it. These are but shadows of the things that have been, said the ghost. They have no consciousness of us. The jocund travelers came on, and as they came, Scrooge knew and named them every one. Why was he rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them? Why did his cold eyes glisten and his heart leap up as they went past? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas as they parted at crossroads and byways for their several homes? What was Merry Christmas to Scrooge? Out upon Merry Christmas! What good had it ever done him? The school is not quite deserted, said the ghost. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. Scrooge said he knew it, and he sobbed. They left the high road by a well-remembered lane and soon approached a mansion of dull red brick with a little weathercock surmounted cupola on the roof and a bell hanging in it. It was a large house, but one of broken fortunes. For the spacious offices were little used. Their walls were damp and mossy, their windows broken, and their gates decayed. Fowls clucked and strutted in the stables, and the coach-houses and the sheds were run over with grass. Nor was it more retentive of its ancient state within. For entering the dreary hall and glancing through the open doors of many rooms, they found them poorly furnished, cold, and vast. There was an earthy savor in the air, a chilly bareness in the place, which associated itself somehow with too much getting up by candlelight, and not too much to eat. They went, the ghost and Scrooge, across the hall to a door at the back of the house. It opened before them and disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room, made barer still by lines of plain-deal forms and desks. At one of these, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire, and Scrooge sat down upon a form, and wept to see his poor forgotten self, as he used to be. Not a latent echo in the house, not a squeak and scuffle from the mice beyond the paneling, not a drip from the half-thawed water-spout in the dull yard behind, not a sigh among the leafless boughs of one despondent poplar, not the idle swinging of an empty storehouse door, no, not a clicking in the fire, but fell upon the heart of Scrooge with a softening influence and gave a freer passage to his tears. The spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self, intent upon his reading. Suddenly a man, in foreign garments, wonderfully real and distinct to look at, stood outside the window with an axe stuck in his belt, and leading by the bridle an ass laden with wood. "'Why, it's Ali Baba!' Scrooge exclaimed in ecstasy. "'It's dear old honest Ali Baba! Yes, yes, I know!' 
one Christmas time when yonder solitary child was left here all alone. He did come for the first time, just like that. Poor boy. And Valentine, said Scrooge, and his wild brother Orson. There they go. And what's his name? Who was put down in his drawers, asleep at the gate of Damascus? Don't you see him? And the sultan's groom turned upside down by the genie. There, there he is upon his head. Serve him right, I'm glad of it. What business had he to be married to the princess? To hear Scrooge expending all the earnestness of his nature on such subjects, in a most extraordinary voice between laughing and crying, and to see his heightened and excited face would have been a surprise to his business friends in the city, indeed. There's the parrot, cried Scrooge, green body and yellow tail with a thing like a lettuce growing out of the top of his head. There he is. Poor Robin Crusoe. He called him, and when he came home again after sailing round the island, poor Robin Crusoe, where have you been, Robin Crusoe? The man thought he was dreaming, but he wasn't. It was the parrot, you know. The man thought he was dreaming, but he wasn't. It was the parrot, you know. There goes Friday running for his life to the little creek. Ho, 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 hoop, ho, ho. Then, with a rapidity of transition very foreign to his usual character, he said in pity for his former self, Poor boy, and cried again. I wish, Scrooge muttered, putting his hand in his pocket and looking about him, after drying his eyes with his cuff. But it's too late now. What is the matter? asked the spirit. Nothing, said Scrooge, nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should like to have given him something. That's all. The ghost smiled thoughtfully and waved his hand, saying as it did so, Let us see another Christmas. Scrooge's former self grew larger at the words, and the room became a little darker and more dirty. The panels shrunk, the windows cracked. Fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling, and the naked lath were shown instead, but how all this was brought about, Scrooge knew no more than you do. He only knew that it was quite correct, that everything had happened so, that there he was alone again when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. He was not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Scrooge looked at the ghost and with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously towards the door. It opened, and a little girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in and putting her arms about his neck and often kissing him, addressed him as her dear, dear brother. I have come to bring you home, dear brother, said the child, clapping her tiny hands and bending down to laugh, to bring you home, home, home. Home, little friend, returned the boy. Yes, 
said the child, brimful of glee. Home for good and all. Home forever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be that home's like heaven. He spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should, and sent me in a coach to bring you, and you're to be a man, said the child, opening her eyes, and are never to come back here. But first, we're to be together all the Christmas long and have the merriest time in all the world. You're quite a woman, little Fran, exclaimed the boy. She clapped her hands and laughed and tried to touch his head, but being so little, laughed again and stood on tiptoe to embrace him. Then she began to drag him, in her childish eagerness, towards the door, and he, nothing loath to go, accompanied her. A terrible voice in the hall cried, "'Bring down Master Scrooge's box!' And in the hall appeared the schoolmaster himself, who glared on Master Scrooge with a ferocious condescension and threw him into a dreadful state of mind by shaking hands with him. He then conveyed him and his sister into the veriest old well of a shivering best parlor that ever was seen, where the maps upon the wall and the celestial and the terrestrial globes in the windows were waxy with cold. Here he produced a decanter of curiously light wine and a block of curiously heavy cake, and administered installments of those dainties to the young people. At the same time, sending out a meager servant to offer a glass of something to the postboy, who answered that he thanked the gentleman, but if it was the same tap as he had tasted before, he'd rather not. Master Scrooge's trunk, being by this time tied unto the top of the chase, the children bade the schoolmaster good-bye right willingly, and getting into it, drove gaily down the garden sweep, the quick wheels dashing the hoarfrost and snow from the dark leaves of the evergreens like spray. Always a delicate creature whom a breath might have withered, said the ghost. But she had a large heart. So she had, cried Scrooge. You are right. I'll not gainsay it, spirit. God forbid. She died a woman, said the ghost, and had, as I think, children. One child, Scrooge returned. True, said the ghost, your nephew. Scrooge seemed uneasy in his mind, and answered briefly, yes. Although they had but that moment left the school behind them, they were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city where shadowy passengers passed and repassed, where shadowy carts and coaches battled for the way, and all the strife and tumult of a real city were. It was made plain enough by the dressing of the shops that here, too, it was Christmas time again, but it was evening, and the streets were lighted up. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Know it? said Scrooge. Was, was I apprenticed here? 
they went in. At the sight of an old gentleman in a Welsh wig sitting behind such a high desk that if he had been two inches taller he must have knocked his head against the ceiling. Scrooge cried in great excitement, Why, it's old Fezziwig! Bless his heart! It's Fezziwig, alive again! Old Fezziwig laid down his pen and looked up at the clock, which pointed to the hour of seven. He rubbed his hands, adjusted his capacious waistcoat, laughed all over himself from his shoes to his organ of benevolence, and called out in a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice, Yo-ho there, Ebenezer! Dick! Scrooge's former self, now grown a young man, came briskly in, accompanied by his fellow Prentice. Dick Williams, to be sure, said Scrooge the ghost. Bless me, yes, there he is. He was very much attached to me, was Dick. Poor Dick, dear, dear. Yo-ho, my boys, said Fezziwig. No more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas, Ebenezer. Let's have the shutters up, cried old Fezziwig with a sharp clasp of his hands, before a man can say Jack Robinson. You wouldn't believe how those two little fellows went at it. They charged into the street with the shutters. One, two, three, and had them up in their places. Four, five, six barred them and pinned them, seven, eight, nine, and came back before you could have got to twelve, panting like racehorses. Hilly-o! cried old Fezziwig, skipping down from the high desk with wonderful agility. Clear away, my lads, and let's have lots of room here. Hilly-ho, Dick! Cheer up, Ebenezer! Clear away! Clear away! There was nothing they wouldn't have cleared away or couldn't have cleared away with old Fezziwig looking on. It was done in a minute. Every movable was packed away as if it were dismissed from public life forevermore. The floor was swept and watered. The lamps were trimmed. Fuel was heaped upon the fire. And the warehouse was as snug and warm and dry and bright a ballroom as you would desire to see upon a winter's night. In came a fiddler with a music book and went up to the lofty desk and made an orchestra of it and tuned like fifty stomach aches. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast substantial smile. In came the three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. In came the six young followers whose hearts they broke. In came all the young men and women employed in the business. In came the housemaid with her cousin, the baker. In came the cook with her brother's particular friend, the milkman. In came the boy from over the way who was suspected of not having bored enough from his master, trying to hide himself behind the girl from next door, but one who has proved to have had all her ears pulled by her mistress. In they all came, one after another, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling. In they all came, anyhow and everyhow. Away they all went, twenty couple at once, 
hands half round and back again the other way, down the middle and up again, round and round in various stages of affectionate grouping, old top couple always turning up in the wrong place, new top couple starting off again as soon as they got there, all top couples at last, and not a bottom one to help them. When this result was brought about, old Fezziwig, clapping his hands to stop the dance, cried out, Well done! And the fiddler plunged his hot face into a pot of porter, especially provided for that purpose. But scorning rest, upon his reappearance, he instantly began again, though there were no dancers yet, as if the old other fiddler had been carried home exhausted on a shutter, and he was a brand new man resolved to beat him out of sight or perish. There were more dances, and there were more forfeits, and more dances, and there was cake, and there was negus, and there was a great piece of cold roast, and there was a great piece of cold boiled, and there were mince pies and plenty of beer. But the great effect of the evening came after the roast and boiled, when the fiddler, an artful dog mind, the sort of man who knew his business better than you or I could have told it him, struck up, Sir Roger de Coverley. Then old Fezziwig stood out to dance with Mrs. Fezziwig. Top couple, too, with a good stiff piece of work cut out for them. Three or four or twenty pair of partners, people who were not to be trifled with, people who would dance, and had no notion of walking. But if they had been twice as many, ah, four times, old Fezziwig would have had been a match for them, and so would Mrs. Fezziwig. As to her, she was worthy to be his partner in every sense of the term. If that's not high praise, tell me higher, and I'll use it. A positive light appeared to issue from Fezziwig's calves. They shone in every part of the dance like moons. You couldn't have predicted at any given time what would have become of them next. And when old Fezziwig and Mrs. Fezziwig had gone all through the dance, advance and retire, both hands to your partner, bow and curtsy, corkscrew, thread the needle, and back to your place, Fezziwig cut, cut so deftly that he appeared to wink with his legs and come upon his feet again without a stagger. When the clock struck eleven, this domestic ball broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations, one on either side of the door, and shaking hands with every person individually as he or she went out, wished him or her a Merry Christmas. When everybody had retired but the two prentices, they did the same to them, and thus the cheerful voices died away, and the lads were left to their beds, which were under a counter in the back shop. During the whole of this time, Scrooge had acted like a man out of his wits. His heart and soul were in the scene, and with his former self. He corroborated everything, remembered everything, enjoyed everything, and underwent the strangest agitation. It was not until now 
when the bright faces of his former self and Dick were turned from them. And he remembered the ghost and became conscious that it was looking full upon him while the light upon its head burned very clear. A small matter, said the ghost, to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small, echoed Scrooge. The spirit signed to him to listen to the two apprentices who were pouring out their hearts in praise of Fezziwick. And when he had done so, said, Why is it not? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, three or four perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, said Scrooge, heated by the remark, and speaking unconsciously like his former, not his latter, self. It isn't that, spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. Say that his power lies in words and looks, in things so slight and insignificant that it is impossible to add and count them up. What then? The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. He felt the spirit's glance and stopped. What is the matter? asked the ghost. Nothing in particular, said Scrooge. Something, I think, the ghost insisted. No, said Scrooge, no. I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. His former self turned down the lamps as he gave utterance to the wish, and Scrooge and the ghost again stood side by side in the open air. My time grows short, observed the spirit. Quick! This was not addressed to Scrooge or to anyone whom he could see, but it produced an immediate effect, for again Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of life. His face had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years, but had begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. There was an eager, greedy, restless motion in the eye, which showed the passion that had taken root and where the shadow of the growing tree would fall. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl in a mourning dress, in whose eyes there were tears, which sparkled in the light that shone out of the ghost of Christmas past. It matters little, she said softly, to you very little. Another idol has displaced me. And if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? he rejoined. A golden one. This is the even-handed dealing of the world, he said. There is nothing on which it is so hard as poverty, and there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much, she answered gently. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance 
of its sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion, gain, engrosses you. Have I not? What then, he retorted, even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? I am not changed towards you. She shook her head. Am I? Our contract is an old one. It was made when you were both poor and content to be so. Until in good season we could improve our worldly fortune by our patient industry. You are changed. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy, he said impatiently. Your own feeling tells you that you were not what you are. She returned, I am. That which promised happiness when we were one in heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often and how keenly have I thought of this, I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it and can release you. Have I ever sought release? In words, no. Never. In what, then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit, in another atmosphere of life, another hope as its great end, in everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this had ever been between us, said the girl, looking mildly, but with steadiness upon him, Tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? Ah, oh, no. He seemed to yield to the justice of this supposition, in spite of himself. But he said with a struggle, You think not? I would gladly think otherwise if I could, she answered. Heaven knows. When I have learned a truth like this, I know how strong and irresistible it must be. But if you were free today, tomorrow, yesterday, can even I believe that you would choose a dowerless girl? You, who, in your very confidence with her, weigh everything by gain, or choosing her if for a moment you were false enough to your one guiding principle to do so, do I not know that your repentance and regret would surely follow? I do, and I release you, with a full heart, for the love of him you once were. He was about to speak, but with her head turned from him, she resumed. You may. The memory of what is past half makes me hope you will. Have pain in this. A very, very brief time, and you will dismiss the recollection of it. Gladly. As an unprofitable dream from which it happened well that you awoke. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. 
She left him, and they parted. Spirit, said Scrooge, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me? One shadow more, exclaimed the ghost. No more, said Scrooge, no more. I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. But the relentless ghost pinioned him in both his arms and forced him to observe what happened next. They were in another scene and place, a room not very large or handsome, but full of comfort. Near to the winter fire sat a beautiful young girl, so like that last that Scrooge believed it was the same, until he saw her. Now a comely matron sitting opposite her daughter. The noise in this room was perfectly tumultuous, for there were more children there than Scrooge in his agitated state of mind could count. And, unlike the celebrated herd in the poem, they were not forty children conducting themselves like one, but every child was conducting itself like forty. The consequences were uproarious beyond belief, but no one seemed to care. On the contrary, the mother and the daughter laughed heartedly and enjoyed it very much, and the latter, soon beginning to mingle in the sports, got pillaged by the young brigands most ruthlessly. What would I not have given to one of them? What would I not have given to one of them? Though I never could have been so rude, no, no, I wouldn't for the wealth of all the world have crushed that braided hair and torn it down. And for the precious little shoe, I wouldn't have plucked it off, God bless my soul, to save my life. As to measuring her waist in sport, as they did, bold young brood, I couldn't have done it. I should have expected my arm to have grown round it for a punishment, and never come straight again. And yet I should have dearly liked, I own, to have touched her lips, to have questioned her, that she might have opened them, to have looked upon the lashes of her downcast eyes, and never raised a blush, to have let loose waves of hair, an inch of which would be a keepsake beyond price. In short... I should have liked, I do confess, to have had the lightest license of a child, and yet to have been man enough to know its value. But now a knocking at the door was heard, and such a rush immediately ensued that she, with laughing face and plundered dress, was borne towards it in the center of a flushed and boisterous group, just in time to greet the father, who, came home intended by a man laden with Christmas toys and presents. Then the shouting and the struggling and the onslaught that was made on the defenseless porter, the scaling him with chairs for ladders to dive into his pockets, to spoil him with brown paper parcels, hold on tight by his cravat, hug him round his neck, pommel his back, and kick his legs in irrepressible affection. The shouts of wonder and delight with which the development of every package was received, the terrible announcement that the baby had been taken in the act of putting a doll's frying pan into his mouth and was more than suspected of having swallowed a fictitious turkey glued on a wooden platter, 
the immense relief of finding this a false alarm. The joy and gratitude and ecstasy, they are all indescribable alike. It is enough that by degrees the children and their emotions got out of the parlor, and by one stair at a time, up to the top of the house, where they went to bed and so subsided. And now Scrooge looked on more attentively than ever. When the master of the house, having his daughter leaning fondly on him, sat down with her and her mother at his own fireside. And when he thought that such another creature, quite as graceful and as full of promise, might have called him father, and been a springtime in the haggard winter of his life, his sight grew very dim indeed. Bell, said the husband, turning his, to his wife with a smile, I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who was it? Cass. How can I? Tut, I don't know. She added in the same breath, laughing as he laughed. Mr. Scrooge? Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window, and as it was not shut up, and he had a candle inside, I could scarcely help seeing him. His partner lies upon the point of death, I hear, and there he sat alone, quite alone in the world, I do believe. Spirit, said Scrooge in a broken voice, remove me from this place. I told you. These were shadows of the things that have been, said the ghost. That they are what they are. Don't blame me. Remove me, said Scrooge. I cannot bear it. He turned upon the ghost, and seeing that it looked upon him with a face, in which in some strange way there were fragments of all the faces it had shown him wrestled with it. Leave me! Take me back! Haunt me no longer! In the struggle, if that can be called a struggle in which the ghost with no visible resistance on its own part was undisturbed by any effort of its adversary, Scrooge observed that its light was burning high and bright, and dimly connecting that with its influence over him, he seized the extinguisher cap and by a sudden action pressed it down upon its head. The spirit dropped beneath it so that the extinguisher covered its whole form. But though Scrooge pressed it down with all his force, he could not hide the light which streamed from under it in an unbroken flood upon the ground. He was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness and, further, of being in his own bedroom. He gave the cap a parting squeeze in which his hand relaxed and had barely time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. So that was stave two. Good job, Jay. Thank you. 
Um, but I do have a disclaimer. Like, you know, when you read an article and then they say, uh, what do you, when there's a correction, you know, we have because we did wrote something wrong or incorrectly cited something. I have one of those. What do you call those? When you do that, when, when they're just a. I don't know if there's a word for it. Yeah, there is. When a newspaper has a correction, just um, uh, they, they have to print corrections or something. Well, I have one of those because very early on in the story, I mispronounced a word. And I know I mispronounced the word, but I couldn't figure out how the right way to pronounce it. It just didn't make sense in my head. So um, I tried several times to just work it over. It was mm-hmm. quite an editing nightmare. <laughs> But I pronounced it the word bonneted. And it's. Should be bonneted. Yeah. So if you could, I hope that if you were listening to this or when you were listening to this and you heard that mispronunciation, that you just didn't obsess on it. I mean, I've got a couple <laughs> friends out there, one of whom, of which has been on our podcast, that probably that would just ruin the whole podcast. <laughs> Well, it is frustrating when people mispronounce <laughs> It things. is. Well, and, and I was early in the morning, and you were still asleep, and I was downstairs. And But sometimes when listening to something read aloud, you might your mind go, oh, boop, and then you'll yeah. fall in line with the rest of the story. So yeah. hopefully nobody's too upset. Mm-mm. So a couple things. You know, I think here's the thing for me, and I guess this is just me is, you know, we've been watching a lot of movies on The Christmas Carol. We talked about this in our last episode. Um, But do you know how frequently um, the first ghost is presented as female? I don't. Let me know. Well, I don't either. I'm just saying, maybe we should look that up, but I'm just saying in all the movies we've seen so far, in Scrooged and in the 19, uh, what was it, the 1949 version we watched, 39. 39 yeah. ver- version, um, whatever it was. But the first ghost is typically presented as female. It's not a female in the book. Do you remember that? Mm. Or am I, is it just me? I, I think in my it? head, the in my head, the picture of it is not, is never a female. Oh, really? Because I always think of Bernadette. Isn't it Bernadette Peters and uh, Scrooge? Um, is it Bernadette Peters or is it the girl I gotta look it up. who's in that show? It's not Bernadette Peters. No, it's but she not. has curly hair and she's goofy. Yeah. Yeah. That she's, she's the one funny. I always Yeah, she's funny. And she was she was on SNL for a while too, wasn't she? Maybe not. See, this is why I should do more study when I do when I do podcasts and then just talk, talk off my head. But you're right. It says right in the text. You know, he had a he had a special desire to see the spirit in his cat. It's Carol Kane. Carol Kane, yes. Dang it! She anyway. was in Young Frankenstein. She, Wasn't she? No. <laughs> see, we, <laughs> anyway, let's not go down that okay. path because nobody let's, wants to hear us no. sit here and do that. It'd be wrong. Be wrong. And this all started with me mispronouncing yeah. a word, well, and then now we've got movie things and. Anyway, that's things. very interesting. The, again, the different ways that the movies um, portray. In fact, there is the one uh, Scrooge movie that came out last year that we had mentioned earlier that's a very dark movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's the most recent adaptation. And that one is dark because of its portrayal of Stave 2. Right. How it shows 
uh, Scrooge's past right. and it takes it in some dark places that the book never goes to, right? Right. Well, and that that kind of brings us up to a discussion you and I had as we were preparing for this, right? So you and I had this discussion. This just might be fun to share with our listeners. So if you look at all the memories that were shared with uh, Scrooge, um, even though they, you know, the you and I argue, I argue that the first two memories of him at school are happy memories. And your point is, is that they're tra- traumatizing, sad memories. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And my argument is that in those, it, obviously his school, um, schoolboy days were, were alone. And um, we know that for whatever reason, he wasn't allowed to come home in the holidays. But even with the first memory, he has this wonderful, fantastic experience with Alibaba. And if you look at Scrooge's reaction to that memory, it's very, very positive. And if you look at Scrooge's reactions to his childhood friends, his memories, his seeing them, you know, he's very, he wants to call out to him. He wants to reach him. He jokes with them. He remembers them. Um, And so, you know, I, in a way, I look at those experiences that the ghost is showing him um, though the circumstances were tragic to Scrooge they were well you know even his third memory you know I, I would argue that all three that three of the memories up until his engagement were very positive you know joyous experiences in his past Okay. Well, you disagree. A little I bit. do. I disagree because, um, you know, granted, he, he sees old friends from school. That's great. Yes, everybody would when you get to see your five-year-old self playing on the playground or your 10-year-old self playing on the playground. But when Scrooge sobbed was when he saw himself alone. Everyone else went home for Christmas and Scrooge did not. And he sobbed. That was sad. Now, How did he keep himself entertained? And remember, keep himself entertained all by himself. He read Alibaba. And so those characters in that book come alive for him as his only playmates. Now, he might light up when he goes, oh, Alibaba, right? Because he Mm. can remember that. But I think that it's, it's sad in thinking that the only thing that the only entertainment or happy memory he has is of stories that he read by himself. I, I still go back to he sobbed, right? I'm not going to argue with you with the Fezziwig. That is a great memory. You know, as he go, got older, his sister um, said, hey, you can come home now. That's a great memory. And he got to see Fan and he loved his sister very much. And then the Fezziwig party that he, he was a had a great time, right? And it's actually the instigation to remember what it's like to be around people and have a good time. And then the relationship that went sour is is the bad one, so. right? But I still think, I think that those are the bookends, that him being super lonely and and left alone at the time of the year where you should never be alone, and then attach that to him making a, conscious choice of money over love that that is what 
those were two awful memories and what has now created the Scrooge that we know. All right. I, um, I, I guess I just look at it. I think I will, we'll probably agree to disagree on this a little bit and that's okay. I mean, I see your point on two, on, on two things. Um, after his, um, after his memory, uh, with the, um, uh, for his first memory in the school being alone and then having that fantastic memory of Alibaba and all the stories he read, he has this very, it was very positive, happy memory for him. And I think, uh, if I were, if, if, if I could ask Charles Dickens sitting here, um, I think I would just at, say to him, you know, there's, he's showing a quality of, of the old Scrooge, a, a quality that in spite of bad things, Scrooge still was able to find joy. And I think, you know, that to me is probably, you know, the, the memory, you know, is, is what I was thinking was maybe the whole purpose is that here he was alone and yet, even in his alone time, even in the misery of being left alone in this dreary, broken, run-down schoolhouse, he was still able to find joy. But your point is well taken, because as soon as um, as soon as that memory is over, um, he uh, has Scrooge makes this comment, "Poor boy." Um, and then he makes another comment, um, I wish, but it's too late now. And the ghost confronts him and says, what's the matter? And Scrooge says, nothing, nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. And I should have, uh, I should like to have given him something. So, I mean, even right now, as early as that first, we begin to see a little shift in Scrooge, right? We begin to see that, that little change. Um, and then again, that happens, um, with little, with his, his, uh, sister fan, um, and you know, the ex and the recognition that she was gone and how precious she was. Uh, then we go to the Fezziwig party. Um, by the way, I would love a to, Fezziwig party. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Yes. I would love, we'd to have, have to wear in period costumes. That would be great. We have to drink, um, the drink. Mm -hmm. It's and by the way, or several drinks, right. But by it's by the way, uh, uh, Flaming Bishop is not mentioned in this, Dave. No, it's not. No, no. but um, we'd have to drink. Smoking it. Bishop. Yeah, yeah. Smoking Bishop. Um, and we would need a um, we need a fiddler. Mm. And we'd have to learn some dances. We have friends that plink the guitar. Right. But we, not a fiddle, but. I think a fiddle. I think it sounds just Fiddle be good. fun. We could do some of those, you know, we could kick our heels. So anyway, I'd like to kick my heels. we need a Fezziwig party. Yes. F number one, because apparently that dude knew how to throw a party. I mean, I, say what you want. Reading stave two. I was like, I want to go to a party like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially after all these COVID right. years. Mm -hmm. Right. Let's go to a party like that. Um, so that, you know, so that's it. Where we want to do to a, we're going to have a Fezziwig party. <laughs> we got to find a place to have a Fezziwig party. Um, and then all of a sudden, to me, then the significant memories are the last two, right? The significant, the most painful memories are the last two with his, uh, with his fiancees when she broke it off. And then him, Her life after. And, and then him recognizing the, the treasure that he lost um, when he did so. 
So why is, I don't know, I guess my question would be is what do you think Scrooge learned? I don't know. It's, it's been bugging me, I guess, is what was the lesson he learned in his time with the ghost of Christmas past? So I'm not entirely sure the lessons have been learned yet. But there, you can see the start of them. I, I th- because at the Fezziwig party, he wants to talk to his um, clerk. He says that after the Fezziwig party memory's over, he says, boy, I sure have some things I'd like to say to my clerk. So you see that already he's looking, he's wishing he would respond different to the boy, the, Chris, the boy who was singing Christmas carols, and mm-hmm. to his clerk. But um, I think the if we go back to stave one and what Marley told him, um, I think the bigger lessons are to come. And it should have happened with the story about um, the breakup, right? Because right. he chose gold. He chose, he chose the coin. But um, he has not figured out that relationships are more important than money quite yet. I mean, it's easy for him to say, oh, I should have said something to him, or I should have said or given that boy something. But he hasn't really changed yet. He is, you're right, he's making steps. Right. But I don't think, I don't think the lessons have been learned. And I'm not entirely sure, because I, I still believe perhaps he thinks he's beyond that. He's, it's oh, almost. You don't see him as being redeemable. I feel that the reason why he puts the, um, covers the hat of the, the, is because he Uses doesn't. the hat to cover the Right. Ghost. He doesn't want to see anymore. He, mm-hmm. it, this is like torture. It's not a learning experience for him. This is, look what you did. You can't change the past, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think he is not ready yet. Okay. So, and that's why he covers. Like uh, we're done. We're done. So, in other words, all right. So he can he can recognize. What I guess I'm saying is he's recognizing the wrong he did. But what you're saying is he may not be recognizing that he can change. Yes. You know, there are some people that don't believe that they're redeemable. Wow, and that's what you're saying. Scrooge comes face to face with here. I don't think Scrooge feels that he's redeemable, but it's only the first ghost. Right. And that redemption takes a long time. So the story of the, I mean, is obviously this is a redemptive story mm-hmm. overall. I mean, we don't want to ruin the next two staves. No, but everybody, I mean, the majority of people know of Scrooge and the sure. story. Right. Okay. He doesn't die. So. Right. Hey, was there anything, any, uh, did you learn, I did learn it. anything? I, I, I learned an interesting phrase that's. I had to look up because I didn't okay, understand Okay, so it. tell me what it is. Well, it was early on. Remember when he wakes up and he's, um, he's trying to figure out what time it is and he's concerned that he slept through the day. Um, and there's this great line he says, because um, he doesn't know what time it is, right? And he was expecting Marley's ghost and mm-hmm. he's been listening to the bells and then he's just really disoriented. And so, um, so he's thinking maybe that he slept through the day and it, he discovers that he didn't, and so, or he believes that he didn't, and he says, because three days after sight of this first of exchange, pay to Ebenezer Scrooge or his order, and so forth, would have become a mere United States security 
if there were no days to count by. So what this was a reference to was a lending contract. And there was a three-day grace period in this lending contract. And, um, and then during this time, the United States um, there was some was having severe banking problems. Banks were failing at this time in the United States, right and left, and they were not a safe investment. You know, people weren't, you know, it, it changes were afoot in the United States, but it wasn't, you know, banks were failing, people were losing money, things like that. And so this whole reference, I guess it was interesting to me, number one, that um, Scrooge's first thought after waking up um, and not think uh, fearful that he lost a day was he lost a day to make business, mm-hmm. right? He lost a day to earn that or that the contracts that he had sent out the day before were no longer valid, mm-hmm. that he was somehow make sure he collects. right. He was going to lose, lose out on some money. And then this little comment uh, by the narrator, you know, Charles Dickens, who makes this reference to the United States, you know, that to, to, to have that, uh, agreement that that level of failure um, would be at the same, put the British banking system <laughs> at the same level of the United States. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was just an interesting commentary. Mm-hmm. Well, especially if you know that, you know, he wrote this in six weeks because he needed money badly probably to pay off some debts. Yeah, probably. Right? So right. he understood the lending. <laughs> yeah, But I, th- I think more, so. more, what I see it as, what I like about it more is that that little quirky way that Dickens described that moment shows us that even that Scrooge, even time is time for Scrooge is counted by dollars, dollars mm-hmm. yeah. and or pounds. Or yeah. And whatever. so he only, Oh, you know, how many days, la, la, you know, should I collect? I have this many days mm-hmm. left. It's not our normal way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And, um, just a great, little piece of characterization by Dickens. Do you think stand out for you? Well, I was uh, thinking about, um, I was thinking about, first off, the ghosts, right? How interesting it is to have a Christmas story and put ghosts in it. Right on. And then, so I I kind of investigated that a little and found that ghosts at that time in Victorian England, ghost stories were really popular. So, Stories coming out in um, newspapers and magazines and short books were about ghosts. They were super popular at that time. So I suppose if you're Charles Dickens and you need to write a book in six weeks and you want it to be popular so you can make some money, why not stick some ghosts in there? That works for me. Yeah. But then the other thing I thought was interesting, so I found out a little something about Dickens and his relationship with Queen Victoria. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, so I was curious Here's Queen Victoria, who um, lived at the same time as Charles Dickens, and Charles Dickens is so popular with all of his bits. I'm thinking to myself that the two of them had to have met. Like, how could she not invite him to the to the palace and have tea with Charles Dickens? But what I found out was that when Queen Victoria married Albert, um, and they were having their honeymoon, I guess Charles Dickens was so distraught so brokenhearted that she married this other guy that he ran with a friend to the palace and he rolled in the mud underneath the window that he thought that they would be in. Now, he was married at the time Mm -hmm. and it probably even had a couple kids, but he was so in love in this weird way with a woman he's never met, his his queen. Or any chance of really... Yeah, exactly, any chance. And so 
after that, through all of his um, great works, she did invite him over and over again to come to the palace, and he refused every time. And scholars say that's so interesting because no one says no to the Queen of England. But Chuck did. But he did. Yeah. He said no. Now, it wasn't until he was very old and he act- he met her, and then I think he actually passed away like three to six months after. And so they were both old. She was, of course, in mourning. She finally got him to come and meet with her, and they said he was almost like hunched over his back, was, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, she said something casually like, oh, I wonder why it's so hard to get good help these days. And he says, well, it's probably because they have an education now, (laughs) which I thought was a way to dig on that social justice piece. So that was interesting to me, plus the idea, and and many people do know this, but uh, Prince, or because Cromwell kind of, and King Henry VIII, dissolved all the Catholic churches, Cromwell and the Puritans also said no more holy days, no more practicing the holy days. I think Puritan, I think you're talking Calvinists. No, I was talking Mm. Puritans. And um, because of that, England just stopped practicing the holy days. And it wasn't until Queen Victoria came, she said, we're going to start practicing these, we're going to start celebrating the holy days again, and Christmas in particular. Now, Prince Albert was from Germany, and they have a big Christmas celebration. In fact, have a Christmas tree. So he brought the Christmas tree to England. And then, of course, because Queen Victoria did that in the palace, then everybody started having a Christmas tree. And that's how the Christmas tree kind of spread throughout the English-speaking nations. Oh, very cool. Very and cool. Um, the year uh, after this book was published was the first year that Christmas cards started being sent. There you go. So I think it was the a- year Christmas after or Carol, the year of. Um, revived some Christmas traditions? Well, I don't know. I think the Christmas tree came before Christmas well, I, Carol. Revived is the word I used. Oh. I, didn't, okay. I didn't use invent. All right. You don't think that's right? No, I just don't want to overstate. I don't. Oh, I, I was, too. yeah. Okay. I overstated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, oh, it's fun to talk with you about books. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> sometimes we at least we argue about books, not about important stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Okay. So uh, stave three will be coming up next week. Oh yes, that's a good one. Yep. Stave three comes up next week. That's the ghost of Christmas present. We oh, get to introduce yes. some new characters. Oh, yeah. Um, we get to see some new people and or hear about new people. So that'll be exciting. Uh, if you have any questions or want to reach out to us, be sure to do that. We'd love to hear uh, what your opinions are about The Christmas Carol. Yes. All right. All God, right. Goodbye. Merry Christmas. And God bless you, everyone.